Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the same old Arsenal summer series, Talking Arsenal. Just, we thought through the season that we'd bring some shows to you so you don't miss your Arsenal through June and July. Um, tonight, which is lovely, I have the boys back with me. Hello, Christopher. Hello. How are you doing? And uh, one for the listeners, um, I think everyone should give Amanda a lovely round of applause because she finally got a bit of technology right uh, with regards to the StreamYard system that we use. So well done, Amanda. <laughs> So condescending. Lovely to have you on the show. <laughs> um, Captain, thank you for joining me. Yeah, no need to thank me. I, I am part of this podcast. It's only been a couple of weeks, isn't it? But it feels like uh, phew, one hell of a lifetime. It really, really does, doesn't it? God, it feels... feels Well, weirdly, I was at the Emirates Saturday, which I'll talk about in a moment. And welcome to our guest. I'm bound to get his name wrong. Well, I get the first one right, first name. Carlo Garganese. Yes? No. Yeah, that, no, that's good. That's good. I mean, most people get the first name wrong. Most people call me Carlos or Carl. So you've got both of them right, Amanda. Well done. Look at me. <laughs> IT right, names right. I'll tell you something, this summer sun's doing me good. Um, welcome to everyone in the chat room. Thank you for joining us on this Monday evening at half past seven. Um it's lovely to chat to you all. Now, weirdly, Carlo, Chris and Cookie, I was at the Emirates Saturday night for the Arctic Monkeys concert. Has anyone ever been there not for football? Uh, no. Yes, I did a corporate day there when it was in one of the bits. But yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, you didn't have like 80,000 people there, though, no. did you? It was the most strangest surreal experience because not only did I park in the same place, which was weird enough, um, I had to queue for the toilets. So I was outside going to my normal toilet outside thinking I'll just walk in, didn't even think register. And there's a massive queue. And I'm like, what's going on? And Carl said to me, you're at a concert, you're not at football. I was like, I had to queue. And, of course, the men's was empty. So weird. Um, and then I had to sit in the West Stand Upper, which is bizarre because I'm an East Stand Upper girl. And it was so weird. I, I saw about two gooners, I would say, in the whole thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So I decided to go in the armory. Honestly, no word of a lie. Um, more staff than people. We had the whole shop to ourselves. It was like a private shopping experience. It was fabulous to walk in and see, except I had a moan up. Do you know why I had a moan up, boys? Because there's a white T-shirt with Navy writing saying Arsenal on it. What? It looked like a Spurs top. I had a right old moan up to the young boy. He said to me, we need you in uh, (laughs) quality control. But anyway, it was really lovely being there. And then 
I was in row 22 up in the gods, but my God, what a view of the fantastic stadium. So anyone went to the Arctic Monkeys and yes, Phil, that's exactly right. That's their famous song. They were absolutely brilliant, but it was weird being at, being there, not for football at all. However, when we came out, lots of people were lost. So people were going, I don't know how to get to Finsbury Park. And, and it was just a really weird, I helped them, of course, but it was just a really weird experience being there. And when you're there, and you, you get to walk in and you think football and it's not. And I am missing it a little bit. As much as I'm enjoying the break, I am missing watching the boys and everything. And after everything that's happened the last few days, which we're going to go into with all the um, buying up clubs, sports washing, Saudi Arabia interest. It's something we can talk about Carlo uh, to Carlo. But... Um, it, it was a weird, really weird experience, boys. It really was. Um, so, let's talk. Carlo, how have you been? How did you find the season? And just give us your thoughts on what what you felt about last season. Yeah, it's a shame how the season ended. Um, I, I thought that... Um, I, I really thought Arsenal were going to do it. I really did. Um, I, uh, probably around January... February, uh, I, I thought I thought this was Arsenal's season, not just because of how Arsenal were playing, which was which was fantastically well, but was more because just as much because of Man City as well. Because I think people forget because they won the treble and how well yeah. they finished the season. People forget that actually the first half of the season they didn't look like the same Manchester City, uh, and it wasn't until Pep made a few tactical adjustments, he went with this new kind of system of four centre backs and and made a few little tweaks here and there that then City turned it on and they just didn't stop. And then Arsenal just, yeah, just run out of steam and and maybe a little bit of lack of squad depth or lack of experience. Um, but, you know, if you'd have said at the start of the season that this was how the season was going to go, I think most Arsenal fans would have would have said, yeah, they have snapped your hand off. Um, but it's just a shame. Couldn't see it through to the end. But overall, I thought it was fantastic, fantastic football. Uh, and with a young team, I, I think now, yeah, definitely, it's, it's there's a lot of positivity going forward into the future, which we haven't felt um, with Arsenal for, well, for, for a long time, to be honest. Do you not think, though, the allegations had something to do with them being like them against the world? Because I've got City friends that honestly say that to me. So they were playing quite average way up to that point. And then it was like, it, it all clicked in. It was them against the world. I, I say this till I'm blue in the face. I know, obviously, he'd, he did make some tactical changes, but I do feel like that. And obviously, we'll go into all that later. But they ended up winning the treble, Carlo. You know, yeah. I mean, they were unstoppable. I'm surprised they didn't win the quadruple in the end. I haven't thought about that, actually, but it's a, it's a good point. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, we've seen it in the past with with, with many other teams. You know, the, the siege mentality. Jose Mourinho was famous for it with his teams. Um, we've seen it. You know, with Italy in the 2006 World Cup, they were coming off the back of a big scandal. They all siege mentality. They won the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is possible. It is possible. Um, but, I mean, Arsenal did slow down at the same time. Um, Arsenal did drop points. Um, but then when you look at the, the final points tally, you think, you know, in a normal, against a normal opponent, that would probably be enough to, to, to win the title. Um, so it's just unfortunate. But at the same time, I think, you know, City had a bit of luck as well. I mean, I didn't think they played well in the FA Cup final. Um, I thought Man United were at least their equal. Uh, and the, the XG, the underlying metrics show that. 
And then again, we saw what happened in the Champions League final. Again, the, the, the luck was with them in the Champions League final against Inter, um, who, you know, were quite significant underdogs. So, you know, you need a bit of luck as well. And I think City definitely had that to win the treble, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Carlo, tell us about yourself. Um, obviously Italian, obviously <laughs> big into Italian football with a name like that, that's for sure. Um, tell us about your life growing up with football. Were you in England? Were you in Italy? Tell us. Yeah, well, my ta- my parents are Italian, um, but I was I was born uh, in, in England. I grew up in England and I was football mad ever since I can remember. Um, in fact, even my mum used to say that when she was pregnant, I, I used to kick her in the tummy nonstop. Right. So it was kind of inevitable that football was going to be something that I grew up to love. Uh, and yeah, ever since I was a young kid, I always I always wanted to be a footballer since I, since I was a young kid. Um, you know, I wasn't far away from being a, a footballer. I was a, I was in Luton Town's youth team till I was, I think, nearly 15. Um, and then they're now back in the Premier League, which is which is really, really nice to see as well from 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 my past. Um, but yeah, uh, as for Arsenal, yeah, I mean, Italian 90 was when I, I really started to get into football kind of full time uh, in terms of the watching. And that's when I, um, for, for, for Italy, I kind of, I fell in love with Roberto Baggio and Toto Scalacci at Italian 90. And they were playing for Juventus. So being Italian, having that Italian influence, I, I started supporting Juventus as an Italian team. But then obviously being in England, uh, I then... I'm not sure if you can ask me this, but I then started supporting Arsenal as my England team um, not long after that. And I want to kind of give you the date and see and see if you guys can guess it. But yeah, throughout the 90s, uh, Arsenal were, I was mad Arsenal fan during the 90s. I watched every game. I went to, you know, I would go to games, I'd get my dad to take me to games as much as I can with, with Arsenal. Uh, and then uh, probably, like I would, if I'm being totally honest with you, the last 10 to 15 years, I'm not as crazy, as fanatical, with Arsenal as I was. They're still my team. I still support them. I still want them to win. I still watch as many of their games as I can. Um, but during the 90s, that was when I was absolutely crazy. And I think a part of that is down to maybe a little bit how modern football's gone, the Premier League. I, I, that has turned me off it a little bit. And I know we're going to talk about that as well afterwards. But yeah, during the 90s, especially the early 90s, Arsenal were absolutely crazy about them. So what was your what was the date then? Because you said you want us to guess what game it was. Come yeah, well, on, Captain, you got to do this. <laughs> well, if you get this, if you get this right, then you're definitely like top, top, top tier Arsenal fan. So, yeah, I started supporting Arsenal on second of December, nineteen ninety, and Arsenal played a, a game that day, and it was quite an important game for the for that season, for the outcome of of that season, and Arsenal winning the title that season. And uh, it was my it was my brother's birthday. It was my brother's second birthday. The game was on TV. Um, I think it wasn't it, Battle of Old Trafford, was it? It wasn't that. No, no, no it wasn't. No, it wasn't. But it was anyone few, in the chat room? No. Maybe it was a few days. Else. It was a few days after after Arsenal got hammered um, by Man United actually in the cup. They got absolutely smashed, like I think six two or something. Um, but anyway, there was it was this game was on TV. And I started watching it and. Um, literally from the kickoff, I think it was, the game was at Highbury, the crowd, the atmosphere. Um, I don't know what it was that drew, drew me to Arsenal, but I just decided before, you know, just as soon as the game was started, I'm going to be an Arsenal fan. There was no other reason for it. I just was drawn to them. Something drew me to them. And and then they, yeah, they went on and they went on and won the game. Uh, 
and they went on to win the title. But yeah, I can give it. I can give it to you. Or go on, let it. I can let it run. No, hold on. Someone's guessed it. Nigel Plum said it was against Liverpool, and the game was live on TV. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. That's Big correct. start to Nigel. Yeah. Well done, Mister well Plum. Done. Yeah. Why yeah, it was three nil. Three nil against Liverpool um, at Highbury. So you mentioned Man United. Was that when we lost six two in the League Cup and Lee Sharp scored? I can't remember the who week scored. Before. I think it was uh, I, I, it was like just before, and Arsenal were coming off a big hammer, that big hammering, and there was kind of question marks. And then Arsenal, I think, were playing a little bit of catch up on Liverpool. Liverpool were, were obviously the champions and big favourites to win the title. So Arsenal were playing catch up a little bit, um, and then and then Arsenal won three 0 They won well, and I remember it was. Mercer scored the first. Um, it was kind of one of those, was it over the line? Was it not over the line goals? And then Dixon scored a penalty. And then Alan Smith scored um, the third goal in the in the final stages. And then kind of Arsenal never looked back from there. We went on and win the, won the title. Nice. I don't. Do you remember that, Chris? No, I was eight years old, so. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You're all younger <laughs> than me. I remember the United one. There's some games that stand out. I'll never forget Lee Sharp on his knees at 6-1 or 6-2 at the end. And yeah. I was like, I can't believe what I've just seen at Highbury. We lost six goals. I don't remember a few days later playing Liverpool, but I've seen thousands of games. I can't remember much. If you'd have said 26th of May, 1989, I'd have known it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only day. Hold on. Yeah. So here we go. So this is what um, Nigel's saying. We was beaten against Man United 6-2 on the Wednesday. Before the, That's right. I call it the League Cup, but it was the Rumbleys Cup. Lee Sharp scored a hat-trick. See what I mean? That is the game I remember. Thank mm. you, Nigel. I didn't think I was going mad. Um, yeah. Those were the good old days at Highbury. Not losing 6-2, obviously, but um, very, very different uh, to football now. So, moving on from that, talk us to, talk to us about your football history and your working and what you're doing now and everything. Yeah, well, like as I said, I, I wanted to be a footballer, but then when that didn't happen, um, you know, I, I for, for a while when I was young, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I, again, just spontaneously, it came to me that I wanted to go into into football journalism one day, and I enrolled into a like a, a fast track course to get some qualifications. Um, this was about fifteen years ago, and that just over fifteen years ago, and um, mm. and then and then yeah, then I started applying for, for jobs, and I, I started off with with goal. Goal.com, who at the time were just a, just a small website um, at the time. And this is kind of 2007, and then um, I was at, I was the first um, full time uh, uh, staff member in the English language at Goal at that time. So we, you know, Goal was very small, and then kind of with Goal grew with Goal as it as it became. Uh, well, at the time that I left, it was uh, the biggest in the world for uh, foot, biggest football website in the world. It had multiple languages in in uh, editions around the world, over, over thirty or forty. Um, so I was with them, and I did, I did just a bit about it, bit of everything. You know, um, writer, chief football writer, uh, editor, head of um, content and features, and. Um, just kind of all the all those kind of writing editor roles. Got, went to tournaments, went to Champions League games, um, covered Arsenal a few games as well. Um, you know, so did did pretty much everything that there was to do uh, in the in the industry. Uh, and I left them um, kind of like four or five years ago. And since then, I've been uh, done a done a bit of freelance, and I'm now with Football Transfers, who are 
um, uh, an up-and-coming um, football, as it says on the Tim Football Transfers website. But I also started my own um, uh, podcast, Italian football podcast, with uh, a couple of uh, friends in the in the industry, uh, and that we've been doing that for nearly three years now. We're coming up to the third anniversary, and yeah, that that that's been going great. Really, really enjoy it. Um, I love it. Um, and you know, we've had some really great guests on. We've interviewed some 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 amazing people, um, footballers, ex-footballers. We've had two England managers on Sven, Sven, oh, wow. Sven Goran Eriksson uh, twice actually, and um, Roy Hodgson. Um, as well, who come onto our pod. So it's been like, it's it's been really, really enjoyable. And that's that's kind of, you know, do it for enjoyment more than anything, which is I'm sure why you guys do the, do the pod as well, because you love your team, you love your content. And it's, and, and yeah, so, so yeah, that's a, that's a quick history, I guess, of, nice. my, of my career. Can I, can I ask a question about your uh, pod? Um, if you could only interview one person, because I saw you've interviewed loads of interesting people, um, Arrigo Sashi, Pirlo, Zola, if you could interview just one person again, if you were no, never allowed to interview another famous footballing person, you've got only one to pick from, from the ones that you've interviewed, who would stand out that you were like, yeah, I'd love to do that. Love to just get an hour of them chatting again. From someone that, I have, that I've interviewed before. Yeah, because be you've interviewed met before. them before and you've kind of the experience. Mm. I, I would love to do, I would like to do Saki again, um, purely because I find him fascinating from a... Um, from a tactical from a tactical point of view, uh, if you want to talk tactics, like Saki is fun, is amazing because he was one of the probably a handful of, of managers who revolutionised football. You know, there's there's only so many managers that changed the way that football was played tactically. I mean, Pep Guardiola is one of them, of course, um, but Saki was another. You know, in in '89 when Arsenal won won the won the league, you know, that year Milan won the won the the, the European Cup and playing a football that was totally revolutionary um, at the time, the high press, um, which, you know, hardly anyone did at that time. And now you see today, fast forward, you know, uh, over 30 years on and, and, you know, all the successful teams press high, they push up, they have a high line, um, they play with intensity, um, you know, hybrid systems. I mean, Saki was doing that back then. Um, and when I interviewed him, he, he spoke a lot about that. He spoke about the type of football that, that generally wins in Europe, especially. Um, so I would say Saki because I think he's a yeah, he's a real philosopher, and and he, and Guardiola was 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 uh, took a lot from from Saki himself. Nice. Mm. Cookie, have you got a question? Yeah, so I'm going to dominate otherwise. No, that's all right, mate. I mean, my, I've got a couple, but they're not. I mean, they're not Arsenal related. I thought, given your background in journalism, I'd try and keep it more focused on that than anything Arsenal because we speak about it every week and to be honest we're not sick of it but uh, we're, we're up to our heads in it after last season so I suppose obviously it's a bit of a silly season for you at the minute in the middle of the summer um, my main question would be as someone in your position you must get people tweeting you you know every minute of every hour of every single day I mean we just know how much of a god figure uh, Fabrizio Romano is and you know you've got the Ornacle out there and uh, all these people you know they've basically got Arsenal and Chelsea and Tottenham and every single fan base on strings as someone in a similar position how do you kind of deal with that much pressure to deliver transfer news yeah well um for myself personally I'm you know I'm not a, a transfer correspondent myself I mean I, I do sometimes come by you know 
get information and, and I will, you know, I'll, I'll provide it. And I'll do that on the pod as well. But, you know, it's not my specific job to go out, get transfer news and, and publish it. So, you know, that pressure uh, is not necessarily on me individually, but as uh, working for football transfers and to a lesser extent, the Italian football podcast, you know, you are uh, in a position where you have to, you have to be in the know of what is happening, what is, what news is real, what is fake news, what is, you know, what, what, what is going on basically. Um, and, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there are certain, there's certain ways of, of knowing, you know, if a, if a story is real or not, um, what's the source like uh, is, is obviously the, the, the bit, the biggest one of all, I would say. Yeah. Have you got any goss for us on transfers? Because everyone asks me, like I don't, I don't know anything. I think it's funny when people DM me and go, "Have you got any?" In well, why would I have? Just because I've got a podcast. I mean, it's funny. <laughs> well, for Arsenal, if you if for Arsenal, actually, yesterday, my my friend who does work does some work with with football transfer, Steve K, who you guys might know because he is, uh, I believe, he is an Arsenal fan actually, and he he he's done quite a few Arsenal uh, um, exclusives actually in the last. Uh, few months a year and um, so he did a story yesterday on Kieran, Kieran Tierney who I think a lot of Arsenal fans were a little bit concerned might leave this summer because he lost his place in the team to, to Zinchenko and obviously he's had a lot of injuries as well. Um, now his understanding is that Arteta doesn't want him to leave, um, that they've had talks, they've had sit-down talks, Arteta's made it clear he doesn't want to sell him and he's assured him that he is going to get um, regular playing time next season and um that you know that is that is what Tierney kind of wanted Tierney is a good guy he won't unless he kicks up a fuss he's not gonna be sold um and I don't think Tierney wants to do that but also according to Steve the talks in kind of assuring him that he is going to play more and he's going to be an important part of the team and the squad next season those talks are going well they're not finalized but they're going well so that that's one bit of of, uh, of information um, that, that I've got. I mean, the other stuff I guess you guys know. I mean, Arsenal are, are trying to finalise the signing of Declan Rice um, to be, or I don't know what position he will be next season. Will he be a six or will he be the kind of left eight, if you like? Um, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what what position you guys will probably know better than me. Um, but um, yeah, he's he's obviously that that sign. You're talking quite like he's signed. What will he be? A six or an eight? Yeah. I've actually heard he has signed, but he obviously hasn't. <clears throat> so, well, I think it's I important mean, where they plan to play him to, as to determine who else comes. Because I have I have heard that Arsenal are looking to sign another central midfielder. Um, does as that well. mean then party is leaving? Because that all sort of erupted Possibly. yesterday. I wouldn't be happy about that. We can't, we can't can't let that happen. No, and sorry, I... sorry, Carlo, I don't want to go back on you, but the Tierney one I find really interesting because... I knew you were um, going to bring up Tierney. No, I, I have to, because <laughs> after the end of his season, where we saw Kivior playing at left-back, if I was Tierney, I'd be going back to that and saying, well, you know, why was Kivior playing in that role? If we're going to play me next season, then, you know, I was fit and available at the end of 2022-23. Why didn't you play me then? So that's the only reason why I find that article hard to believe, because, Chris, I know you were the one that, pointed it my my way and when I was reading it and I saw that it said you know we're looking to play a back three next season I don't know it just feels so far away from what we built this campaign I can I can see the logic but I just can't see Arteta deviating so far away from 
what we've done. And I just find it hard to believe that Tierney would be so willing after, mm. you know, seeing such little football this season to commit his future to Arsenal this season. It just it just didn't quite connect for me. It's possible. I mean, you know, you know how negotiations work. I mean, it's possible that Arteta values him as a squad player, doesn't want to let him go. Um, and, you know, maybe he's saying, oh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to play more, you're going to play more, but actually he's going to have to fight for his place and, and maybe he isn't going to just walk in. I mean, yeah, Steve's information is that maybe they are going to play more, Arsenal are going to play more of a, a back three uh, and uh, maybe possibly go with the Pep way, maybe go with four centre-backs. Who knows? Uh, who go, go with four centre-backs? I mean, White has already been playing a lot on the on a right back. Um, so is it possible that, Tierney, who can play centre-back, have that option at the left? I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, I think the know? thinking is, if you get rid of, sorry, if you get finished, if you get rid of Tierney, you have to replace him, right? And can you find a better replacement when you when the, the Arsenal's uh, priorities in the transfer market are a centre midfielder, Declan Rice, um, a centre-back, I would, I would say definitely Arsenal will, will have to look to sign, wouldn't you say, a centre-back this summer? Centre-back or right-back? I think yeah. either one of them would plug a hole. Yeah. And then maybe maybe a striker, uh, maybe a backup striker. I don't know. Maybe another forward. I'm not sure. Yeah. Do, do you know, this is a really interesting discussion, actually. I'd, I'd like everyone's views on this because one of the challenges we had last season was that when we lost a few players, we still played the same way. And when this Kai Havertz rumour first came out, I thought to myself, why are we buying a a centre forward that's not really a centre forward that doesn't score goal and doesn't, doesn't make assists. This is a bit bizarre. And then I've listened to a few other podcasts. I've read a couple of bits and people are talking about how, well, maybe the plan is to not play him like Chelsea play him. Maybe it's to actually uh, have a bigger squad of more versatile players that can play in different positions and crucially different formations. So I wonder um, cookie, if like maybe the conversation that's gone is look, this season you didn't play that much because I was trying to play a certain way and then at the end I was trying to play a certain way I I wanted Kivior in at left back because I was trying to play party as right back to be the right, inverted right back uh, inverting into midfield and so maybe he's just trying to try different things and I'm, I'm just trying to second guess like why what could be the arguments if you're sat down and you're in Kieran Tierney's positions that are going to make you think yeah, okay, then I definitely want to stick around. And maybe if Arteta said, look, I'm changing the systems next season, instead of just essentially playing the vast bulk of the season with an inverted left back moving into midfield, I'm only going to do that for maybe a third of the games because for a third of the games, Inchenko's injured and for the other third of the games, he'll be great and so we'll use him. But then for the other third of the games, we need to do something different because teams started to find us out. So we need to change and switch it up and that's when I'm going to need some... I'm going to need you so... I'm going to give you, I'll give you a guarantee that at minimum you'll play a third to half of the games this season. And maybe if Kieran Tierney gets that advice, he's kind of like, okay, well, that's a bit better. I don't know. What do you reckon, Cooks? I think it's possible um, because I do think there is a very, I don't want to say slight chance, because I do actually think there's a very real possibility that we could see us line up in a 3 2 4 1 formation. It might not look like that on paper, but if you were to say have Tierney, Gabriel, Saliba, 
as your back three, for example, and not play White. You know, we might have a Champions League coming up where we want to rest him. You know, don't play Zinchenko. Similarly, we might want to rest him. And then we go hell for lever at the other end of the pitch and have Havertz, Erdegaard, Rice, Partey, Saka and Martinelli on the wings with Jesus up top. I mean, it's very, very top-heavy. But I think that's a formation that City deployed last season to great effect. Arteta, I wouldn't be surprised if he was looking at that. And similarly to the way that Kyle Walker plays on the right of that free for City. It's not always him, but let's say it's him in this example. He might look to do something similar with Tierney on the left-hand side and play him there because we all know Tierney, when he's playing for Scotland, plays on the left of that back three. And he's also played there many a time for Arsenal when we played, you know, 3-4-2-1 in the past. So I think it's definitely a real possibility. And to be honest, I would rather have Kieran Tierney than have the 35, 40 million that we could potentially get for him. I know in a summer where we need to raise finances, that might sound ludicrous, but I think he's such a good player. People have forgotten that because of how limited his game time has been. So if that is the case, and if Tierney can see a pathway to playing at Arsenal more, um, I would love it to be the case. And I, I would love us to see... Arsenal line up in multiple different formations and systems next season because I do think we ran out of ideas towards the end. Our system became a bit predictable and the whole Zinchenko inverting thing was just as good as it was, you know, around January, February time, it did become predictable. So if we can line up in a way where we don't have to rely on Zinchenko, who's also had his injury problems um, and it allows Tierney to play more football, you know, I'm all for it. I I just hope it happens because if he is going to stay, he needs to play. Well, that makes more sense then, Chris, doesn't it? Because if he is keeping Tierney, Tierney and Zinchenko are completely different, which is what you're saying about different ways of playing. And Kai Havertz, is a, that could be another option. Because obviously, Carlo, you know what social media is like. Everyone threw their toys out the pram again. I, I just think no one's going to learn, to be honest. They did it with Ramsdale. They, they do it continuously. And... I always say that I'll judge a player once he's played for us and that's it. I'm, I'm not interested in past or previous or anything like that. Um, so you think Tierney might stay, which I was quite surprised. And I, I thought of uh, Cook straight away as I read that article. And I think that was from Steve Kay because that's what I read yesterday. I'm pleased. I'm like, I'm like James. I I really like TNA and I do want something different. And also, we don't want to be selling our good players. We've got Champions League. We've got the FA Cup. We've got the League Cup. If it's still called the League Cup, don't know what it's called. And the League. We need a massive squad. You know, if anything, the pressure's on us much more now than it was at the beginning of last season. Because no one expected anything from us. And now the expectation's high, Carlo. Mm. So, I've got a question for you. Something a little bit different. Um, out of any Italian player, who would you have liked to have seen play for Arsenal? Oh, I tell you who I'd have loved to have seen at Arsenal was this is again going back to the nineties. It was I think it was before Arsenal side Burkamp. Um, there was a lot of rumours, and I you know one day I'm going to try and find this out. I'm going to speak to some agents that were around at the time and try and find out if there was any truth in this. Um, Roberto Baggio, who was like I said, was my idol growing up. Um, you know, he, I had this yellow Diodora boots when I used to play. Uh, you know, I wanted to have a ponytail like him, but my mum wouldn't let me have, let me have one. Um, you know, I loved him. He was heavily linked to, to, to Arsenal around okay. maybe 95. That, that I remember reading it in the papers that, that um, Arsenal were in negotiations with him because this was at the time when uh, his, basically his career at Juventus was over um, because... He, his, he wasn't getting on with Marcello Lippi, the Juventus manager at the time, and Del Piero had come through and 
basically had t- was taking his place. So he needed to be moved on. And I think it was the I think it was the summer of '95, which would have been when Burkamp joined, right? I think it was '95 yep. that yeah. Burkamp joined. Yeah. Yep. So it kind of make kind of makes sense going for a, a second striker, creative kind of genius kind of uh, player. I mean, in the end, Arsenal did did pretty well, I guess, with with Burkamp. But um, <laughs> just from from have, have been someone that you know loved Badger, I would have uh, yeah, I would have liked to see Badger at Arsenal definitely. For the Can younger. Oh, I was just going to ask Carlisle to explain for the younger people that are listening and watching. Um, talk about Baggio. What position did he play? Because, I mean, I know all these players. I remember mm. Italia 90 and, you know, some of the Italian players were absolutely outstanding. And obviously, later on, De Canio came to West Ham and, you know, Sheffield Wednesday. And they've they just got a different aura about them, haven't they? Yeah, especially back then. See, in the 90s, the 90s was the, the golden period, not only of Serie A, um, it was the richest and the best league in the world back in the nineties, but but also the the, the Italy national team. Um, it was uh, even though Italy won nothing, it was the in terms of player production, especially forwards, attackers, world class attackers. I mean, there was it was ridiculous. Um, you know, you, you had probably up to about ten or fifteen world class attackers all around at the same time. And Baggio was was the best of the best um, during during most of the nineties. That certainly the first half. Uh, of the 90s and he won the Ballon d'Or and he was uh yeah he was a he was a he was a number 10 but he was a probably his natural role was a second striker uh he was incredibly skillful great dribbler creative scored great free kicks um scored fantastic goals uh an individual player but you know scored and created and he was I think yeah if he had come to Arsenal uh, I think the, the, they would have loved him they'd have absolutely loved him the same way they loved Burkham the, the fans definitely yeah, I wanted to ask you actually about a sort of modern day question because when we were talking beforehand, you said you kind of you're an Arsenal fan but also a Juventus fan. We've been linked with a few players. I'm quite interested around the Italian or not, but players from Serie A, whether or not there's any kind of link towards being able to spot somebody that is going to make it and make the transition or not. Because to me, it seems really patchy. You go back through time, like. You look at someone like Shevchenko and you just think that should have just, he should have actually just exploded because he was a quality footballer that had all the athleticism and it just didn't work. And then um, you've got some players like Henri or Burkamp that just, it just does work. But I think that's, they were always going to be successful. They just, and they came from other leagues beforehand rather than being dominant in Italy. So I just wanted to get any thoughts about. Is there any kind of blueprint from? Because you, I, I, I confess, I don't watch hardly any Italian football, and I certainly don't watch it anymore. Um, although, like you say, I used to watch the old Channel Four um, back in the nineties, so I'd watch that sort of when that had come, come on in the mornings and stuff. But do, do you see any blueprint as to, or if there are any players that you ever see that are linked that you just think, yeah, I reckon they would make it in England? Well, I think it is a bit of a cliche, but I think it is also it is also true to an extent that to succeed in the Premier League, you need the physical qualities in terms of the intensity. You need to you need to be you need to have pace. You need to uh, be able to get get up and down the pitch. You need to be able to press. Um, I think those qualities are are much more important in the Premier League. So you might have a player in Serie A who has all the technical and tactical qualities, but, you know, if he doesn't have the physical qualities, if he, if he's slow, 
if he if he if he can't you know play play a high line um you know if he's a defender for example um you know you, there is always in talking in general terms there is always the, the chance that that, that 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 player might not succeed um you do get exceptions i mean like Jorginho, for example he's not someone that i would have said it was an obvious you know i'm not saying he's been an, an absolutely huge success in the in the premier league but he's been you know he's he's had a good career in the premier league uh, and he's been important, very, very important for Chelsea winning the Champions League. He's come to Arsenal. He's done okay so far. But, um, you know, he's somebody that actually probably wouldn't have been an obvious success in the Premier League because he's very lightweight. He's quite short. He's not, doesn't get around the pitch very well. He's not very quick. Um, but, you know, he's fantastic. You know, he's got, he's very quick, very fantastic brain and very good in short passing areas. So I think a lot of the time it also depends what type of football you play. Uh, Jorginho is a good example of that. You know, you play him in a system that is, you know, a counter-attacking system or, or, you know, he'll struggle. If he has to cover the yards and get up and down, he'll struggle. He'll, he'll, he'll flop. If you play him in a system in a team that dominates possession, dominates territory, then he can be very, very good. Um, so I think it's hard to generalise too much, but I would say, yeah, the Certainly, the physical qualities are, are are very important. Cookie, do you want to ask a question? I've got I've got another one I can ask. Uh, yeah, I've got one more as well. But, um, I don't Great, because I've I've got two. Fantastic. Do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, going back to modern times. Um, I mean, obviously, I think we were going to touch on this anyway. But with all the links to Saudi Arabia, particularly with the Chelsea players, um, I just want to get your views on. I mean, particularly the Ruben Neves one because that one took me by surprise. I could understand Benzema going there and, you know, Ronaldo going there, in fact, and, you know, players, you know, at the end of their tenure going to Saudi Arabia because it, it makes sense. Um, but for players like Neves, and we're seeing links today to the likes of Bernardo Silva, who's got offers there, and Kante's going there, who, you know, again, probably falls into that category of players in their twilight zone. Um, but it's... Strange, isn't it? Like, what, what do you think it means for uh, for the game at the minute? I think it's I think it's a big problem, and I, I think I touched upon this a little bit at the start when I said I'm, you know, my my passion for football in general, actually, which sounds a bit weird, since I work in the industry. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm getting old as well. When you're younger, you know, the magic, the, the feels everything feels more magical when you're younger, including football, but. I have become a little bit disillusioned by the way that the game has gone with money, uh, with, and I think Saudi Arabia is, is just another example. What's going on in Saudi Arabia is just another example of that, how the game is being governed, the, how there's just no, there's just no rules uh, in football uh, and, um, or they're not enforced, whatever rules that they're supposed to be. Uh, and, you know, when you look at the, who the owners are, in football, not just in the Premier League, but obviously the Premier League is the, the biggest example because it's the richest league in the world. And you've got state owners of clubs. Um, you've got a lot of, you know, I have to be careful what I say, a lot of owners who are, let's say, a little bit shady on the shady side. Uh, <laughs> and and you just think, you know, how are these people even allowed to own football clubs? Uh, you know, and this is in the Premier League, the biggest and the best league and the richest league in the world. Um and, and now we get to a point with Saudi Arabia where the PIF is not only um, owning Newcastle, one football club, but we now find out that they've got um, 
the majority share in Clear Lake, who are uh, who've got shares very Clear Lake, who are the the majority uh, owners of of Chelsea. And now we see what's going on with with they're basically taking all the the Chelsea players who are surplus to requirements, who have no market for them. Someone like Koulibaly, who Kalidou Koulibaly, who's I think he's thirty two today actually. He has no market for him. The only offers he's got um, is loan offers from Italy. Uh, and they're about to, they're, they're in negotiations to sell him to um, four clubs. There's, well, there's four clubs in Saudi Arabia who the PIF are now funding. And one of those clubs, they're now in negotiations to sell Kuli Ballet, plus they're in negotiations to sell other Chelsea players. I'm also seeing that Sheffield United, uh, there's talks, uh, they're looking to, to become, uh, I don't know if it's the PIF or it's someone else that claims to be separate from it, but we know they're probably not really, um, to, to take uh, ownership of Sheffield United. So I'm thinking, not only do we have state owners and multi, multi-club multi ownership, which is, shouldn't be allowed in football at all in different leagues, we've now got to the point where there's basically, if we want to call it that, there's basically two major clubs in the Premier League, potentially a third, that are owned by the same entity. I mean, how yeah. how can that even be I possible? I don't understand how it's possible. Well, if you'd have watched the FIFA programme on Netflix, you'd know how it was possible <laughs> without saying it. it it's, it's, yeah. it's so obvious, isn't it? And it's worrying. I mean, I've always said to the day Roman Abramovich walked into football, it ruined it. And that proves how well we did last season. That proves just right there how well we did to take City right to the wire because no one else did. And and it's going to change. I mean, look at Newcastle's owners. I mean, where does it end, Carlo? I mean, it's going to be to the point where it will ruin football and it will become... I mean, Saudi Arabia. I mean, seriously, just... I mean, I have that. nothing wrong. Like, I'm all for global spreading the love and spreading football globally. I'm all for, I'm all for that. But, but it's not spreading it, be, there, But there needs to be rules in football. And, I mean, it's not football. It's not a game when you have one entity that is owning multiple mm. clubs, not just in separate leagues, because I think that that's an issue in itself, because mm. Chelsea shouldn't be allowed to basically sell to themselves. They're basically, you know, PIF are basically selling players, taking players from Chelsea and selling them to, to themselves, basically. It's, it's, it might be, it's, at the moment, it's legal. So it's, I mean, I had the, me and my colleague on the, the Italian football podcast, Nima, we had this the exact same debate today. We were discussing it and we were saying, how comparable is it to the Manchester City uh, situation? And he was saying, well, it's not comparable in the sense that basically what Manchester City done was, was, was illegal. Basically, you know, if you read, the, the, if you see what's been leaked uh, to the, with the German publication and everything, you know, it's all on the emails, what they allegedly did, but it's all there. Um, you know, the financial doping, he says what they've done is actually legal. But for me, it's still the same thing. It's, it's just another version of financial doping, but it's, elite, it's, it's legal at the moment. Um, it's, a we, mor- it's a it's morally, a massive loophole. I'm just it's hitting moral, them. Sorry, go on. It's a real moral, moral sort of quagmire, if I'm completely honest with you. Um, it is, you've got the, what, what's happening with these, with these Saudi Arabia, with this PIF and, with Chelsea. I mean, I've seen people on social media, uh, Chelsea fans, arguing that, well, if it was your players all being snapped up, you wouldn't mind. And it's almost like, yes, but it's not. This is the whole point. Isn't it slightly surprising that PIF are just focusing on Chelsea and they've just decided, Todd Bowley has just decided to go out to Saudi Arabia and just decided to come back. And now, PIF have just decided to focus in. Oh, we'll have, and people say, oh, but Ruben Neves is going. All right, that's one player. We're talking about four players suddenly disappearing off the books who Chelsea didn't want, uh, who 
um, were on the verge of, um, you know, Chelsea are on the verge of, of, of being in massive problems because of FFP. And yet they're going to just sneak through. With, they'll probably end up with 100 million quid just deposited in. And this goes exactly back to your point, Carla, that it's legal, but it can't be right that you can basically, it's almost robbing Peter to pay Oh, one entity of PIF pays another entity of PIF to through a different name. And I think this is the other problem is that nobody truly knows who owns Clear Lake Capital. And then we go back to the issue about the ownership of football clubs in the first place. How can you buy a Premier League football club when all you and, and all that the Premier League's fit and proper test tells you is, Oh, well, Clear Lake Capital are a private equity. So, you know, they've got this is their book. So that's absolutely fine. How is there no due diligence looking at, okay, well, who funds Clear Lake? Because they're not Why bothered not about, <laughs> they're not bothered, Chris. You need to watch the FIFA Netflix. I have, yeah. Oh, well, then you know what I'm saying. I just want to bring Barnaby in because Barnaby is one of our United fans. And he said maybe a similar position with United and PSG. I mean, yeah. when's it going to end? Where's well, it going to end? The UEFA president, um, Cheferin, did an interview with Gary Neville a few months ago where he was asked the question about Man United and, and PSG. You know, what would you say? That, I mean, officially, multi-club ownership is banned from UEFA in terms of if there's two teams in the Champions League that, that are owned by the same owner, that, that that's just not, that, that, you know, that will not be permitted. Um, so he was asked about this, um, obviously, because Man United and PSG are both going to be in the Champions League next season. And if the Qataris, you know, take over United and and he basically admitted that we're going to change the rules. I mean, he, he basically said that. Um, and and well, that, so that, so that allows it. That tells you everything, doesn't it? That, that UEFA are, have no issue with this. Uh, and this isn't. And, and, and my, again, on the, we discussed this on, on my Italian football podcast today. Nima said it fantastically. He said football is basically the Premier League uh, in particular is basically going to become wrestling now because if you're getting entities, uh, an entity that's owning multiple clubs in the same league, then what's the difference between wrestling? <laughs> it's all, it, it can basically be organised what you want to do between all the clubs you own. What's stopping the, the owners saying, right, well, this season, uh, Newcastle can win the league and next yeah. season, Chelsea can win the league. I mean, it's not football anymore. It's not a game. And this is, this is what has disillusioned me with football. And it, and, it, and it hasn't started just today. It's just now we're seeing more towards the end game now. This started... Yeah. Well, know, I think, don't you think, ago. Carlo, they're mm. going to aim for the Super League, obviously. That's that's going to come back again where it rear its ugly head. Well, that then, that then means it does effectively become wrestling because imagine if you've got a Super League of 16 teams and five teams are owned by one group and another five teams are owned by another group and it's this year you guys get a go. I think also, just from what you were saying, Carlo, what just triggered in my head was FFP, I know we all think it's a bit of a joke anyway, but it becomes even more of a joke. You know, my example that I gave of, imagine if you've got Man United and uh, PSG that are both owned by the same entity and PSG are skirting so close to the FFP rules. So Man United buy one of their fringe players for an absolute fortune to balance the books over this side. And then maybe two years later, vice versa happens. Man United is skirting a bit too close to FFP. So PSG just buy a fringe player off of Man United for a hundred million. I mean, I know this seems quite hyperbolic, but to me, it just, football is eating itself and it's a bit disgusting. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think, unfortunately, I feel like we've got, past the point of no return because if you take state ownership for example you know Manchester City 
who have plowed so much, they put so much money into that club. I mean, how can we say, right, we're going to ban state ownership from, we should be happy. State, they shouldn't be, state ownership shouldn't be allowed in football. It, it just shouldn't be allowed. It's not fair. For, it's not fair and it's not right for multiple reasons. Um, but from a ter- in terms of fair competition and, and also, you know, obviously being an Italian football fan, you know, you mentioned the Super League. In a way, there already is a Super League. It's, it's called the Premier League in terms of yeah. the money that's in the Premier League. Mm. No other league can compete with the Premier League now. It's, it's, it's absolutely impossible. I mean, I mean, that's another story. But just talking about the, the, the Premier League in general, um, I feel like we're the point no return because we can't say, right, we're going to ban state ownership. But what happens to Manchester City? What happens to Newcastle? I mean, who's going who's gonna to buy it? Um, what's going to happen to all the all the money they've put in? Uh, you know, are they just going to give it up? Are they going to... I mean, what... It's, it's, it, I mean, I just feel like we're the point of no return and I just feel like we're... This is football now. Right, we've got some questions for you. Guys, if you've got any questions, now's the time to um, let us know. Can First I... One. Um, can I yeah, ask... Can I, can I sort of broaden on Carl's question about um, not one? the Premier League governing itself but um which players which current uh players in the italian league would be a good fit for arsenal i'll actually zoom in on this uh, because we've been linked with three players um in the last six months uh dusan vlavic federico chiesa you'll know them very well obviously carlo um and uh sergei milinkovic savic how real do you think any of those are in terms of interest how successful do you think any of those players are um, and do you believe any of the rumours that of, of those three players that we've been linked? I, I don't have any information that Arsenal want them now. I can tell you that Vlaovic is available for sale. Juventus need to make between 100 and 140 million euros uh, in player sales just to break even this summer. They're in a, a huge mess, Juventus, because they didn't quite qualify for the Champions League because they got a points deduction. So they need to basically make up that money that they're going to lose from not being in the Champions League. Dusan Vlaovic is their, their biggest asset in terms of value. So they're going to, they, they, he is up for sale, Vlaovic. Um, and we know that Arsenal tried to sign him um, in the January of 2022. He rejected Arsenal uh, and signed for Juventus instead. And then Arsenal went for Gabriel Jesus as a result um, for, the, for the summer. So Arsenal did want to sign him. Um, will Arsenal come back in for him? He's had a, He's had a bad 18 months um, at Juventus. I don't really blame him that much for it. I blame more the manager um, than, 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 than Blauwitz. There's definitely a player there. Um, would they sign him, though? Would they spend... Are, Juventus are looking for 80 million. I don't think they'll get it. Um, Arsenal... I can't see Arsenal spending that much for Vlaovic. When they've got Gabriel Jesus, you can't play Jesus and Vlaovic in the same team. So would you pay that much and then have one of those two players as a backup? Uh, unless you think Jesus can play in a wide role for Arsenal, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um, you know, so yeah, I don't, I don't see Vlaovic happening. Uh, Sergei Milinkovic Savic. Is he re- his- sorry to interrupt? Is he? Why did he have such a bad season? Because I, when uh, when he was linked to us, I started looking at him and thinking when he was at Fiorentina, thinking what a player this guy could be. Physical, strong, good finisher, looked all right in the air. Like what's went, what's gone wrong at Juve? And um, is who else is interested, or is there nobody else interested in him? And that's their problem at the moment. Why it went wrong is. Basically, Max Allegri is, is the manager of Juventus. Since he returned to Juve, he basically... He's been a disaster in the last two years. He's, 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 his style of football is, is totally outdated. He plays defensive, counter-attacking football. 
the, the formation that he's played has mainly been a 3-5-1-1 in which Vlaovic has been so isolated. Um, he's been feeding off, to quote Mikel Antonio, feeding off scraps, basically. Uh, and, uh, and, and he, 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 he yeah, he, he's, he's a young player, still a young player, uh, moving to a big club. If there's one thing I can be critical of Vlaovic is technically his, his play with his back to goal is not good enough. Uh, bringing others into play. Um, he's better with the play in front of him. When you play with, for a smaller team, the play is in front of you more than when you're playing for a big team. Because when you're in a big team, you're going to, you know, you're good. Well, not so much of Juventus, but you're going to have the ball in the in the opposition half more. So I think that, um, yeah, he 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 has struggled. He he has struggled. But there's definitely a player there. And to answer the second part of your question, um, Bayern Munich are looking for a striker um, this summer. Um, so he's they're, 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 they've been in discussions with his agent. So that's a possibility. Bayern and PSG need a striker. So maybe they're one to look at. Uh, Chelsea. Chelsea need a striker. Um, so there are teams that... I'm Man United as well. They need a striker as well. So there are teams that could be in for him, but there's nothing concrete in terms of anyone placing a bid uh, uh, at the moment. What about Chiesa then? He's the other oh, one. Chiesa and uh, Milinkovic Savic. Chiesa, um, up until he did his ACL, he tore his ACL um, about 18 months ago. Um, and since he's come back, uh, he, he came back really at the start of this year and he's, he struggled. He has struggled, but that, that is to be kind of, um, that, is, that is, you know, you have to be understanding, obviously, that he's coming back from a, from a very serious injury. Also, he's had the same issue that Blauwitz has had, that Allegri has been misusing him in a, in a, in a, in a system that isn't good for attackers. Um, he's been playing him out of position. He's a winger, and he's been playing him wing back and and in a two man attack. Uh, so he hasn't that hasn't helped him. Um, if the Chiesa of two years ago, the Chiesa that we saw in his first season at Juventus, the Chiesa that we saw at Euro 2020, he was one of the players of the tournament. If that Chiesa can return, um, which is never a certainty when you had come back from an ACL, we've seen it with so many players; they don't make it back to their, their true levels. He would be fantastic for Arsenal. Just the way that, they, that Arsenal play, um, the, the two wingers, uh, he could play right or left. He'd be fantastic in either of those two, two positions. Uh, he, he's great as a starter, but also great as an impact player. Um, I, I think he, he'd be fantastic. And, and my understanding is that potentially he could be available because he's not happy with Allegri. He, 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 if Allegri stays, which it looks like it, he is, he's made it clear that he's not too keen on staying with Allegri because he doesn't think he's good for his career. Uh, and, and as I said, Juventus need to make financial sacrifices. So there's potential he could be available. I don't have any information that Arsenal have him, and he'd also be a gamble because of the the ACL. Cooks, do you have a one last question for Carlo? Um, yeah, I think just for me, uh, there's been a couple of links with Jorginho going back to Italy. Um, obviously, he's come in and done a job at Arsenal for about six months. And I think, you know, we're all relatively satisfied with him. But I think we all agree that he's not the guy that's going to take us forward. I'm uh, just wondering if you had any details um, on those links and if there's a real possibility that he could go back to Italy and if Arsenal could potentially recoup, a, you know, a large amount of the fee that we pay for him. I don't have any information of, of, you know, do Arsenal want to sell him or are there any teams in particular in for him? Um, but kind of just kind of putting two and two together. Arsenal are buying Declan Rice. Uh, OK, we're all not sure exactly whether he's going to be a six or, or a left eight, let's say. Um, but you're buying Declan Rice. That's one central midfielder. Uh, OK, Party 
potentially there's rumours he could leave as well, but we don't know. Um, but, you know, my understanding is Arsenal still looking to sign another central midfielder as well. So that suggests that Arsenal are definitely going to at least get rid of one central midfielder. So is it Party? Is it Jorginho? Um, you know, maybe, maybe. Uh, also, um, I would say this: there has been a debate in Italy over Jorginho shouldn't be playing for the Italy national team anymore. Um, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that that he's he slows the game down too much. Um, that he's not doesn't have enough intensity, and and Italy have been playing better without him. So you know, there, I think there is a, a feeling that he is past his best. I was a big fan of him uh, two years ago. I, I used to think that the flack he used to get from Chelsea fans, I never understood it. Um, but you know, I think he is past his best, and I do agree that Arsenal probably do need to to be looking to, to move forward. Uh, and maybe if an offer comes in, maybe it might not be the worst idea to, 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 to move him on. Um, who knows? But who would get him in in, uh, in Italy? I mean, he's on... I'm not sure you guys might know. I'm not sure how much his wages are at Arsenal, but I imagine it, he's probably quite well paid. And I don't know how many Italian clubs could afford his salary. Uh, that might be a, an issue. But the obvious fit would be Lazio. Maurizio Sarri's there. It's, he's Sarri's boy. Sarri loves him. And uh, Lazio also looking for central midfielder, maybe as a replacement for Milinkovic Savic, who we mentioned before. So, um, no, I don't have any information, but but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know transfer talk does does hot up with with Jorginho. Oh, wow, I can't believe it's nearly an hour, Carlo. <laughs> Is it? Oh God, <laughs> it sorry, I did go on a bit. <laughs> no, no, no. You've been absolutely fantastic. I've loved it. Um, I'm just wondering if the boys have any more questions. I only had one. What um, manager you think would suit Arsenal over the years? What one would you have liked to have seen? What Italian manager would you have liked to have seen manage Arsenal. the Arsenal? Mm. Let's think. Um, well, you know what? In the 90s, when it was, was the boring, boring Arsenal, uh, the 1-0 to the Arsenal, I think there would have been quite a few Italian managers back then um, that would have suited would have suited Arsenal. Um, someone like Trapattoni, he would have been, I think he would have been good for Arsenal back then. But more recently, with the kind of the, 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 the Arsenal way of playing, the attractive football, the, Ven the more Wenger type of football. Um, I mean, I think, I, th I think uh, Spalletti, Luciano Spalletti, just done an amazing season with Napoli. I think he would have been, he'd have been great. The, the way that he improves players, the way that he likes to, 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 um, the, the team to play to play football. Uh, Sarri as well, I think would have been would have been quite would have been quite would have been quite good. Um, from the current batch, I mean De Zerbi at Arsenal uh, at uh, Brighton. I'm a big fan of him. I think he's he's a very revolutionary manager. He's maybe a bit too ultra attacking, but I think you, you have a lot of fun with him and he improves players as well. And with Arsenal having a lot of young players, um, you know, I'm happy with Arteta. I'm not saying for one minute get rid of Arteta, but if Arteta was to leave, I think De Zerbi would be would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, that was my last little question for you, Carlo. Um, just right, just gonna say goodbye to you on your views on Arteta. I, I I'm a fan. He has won me over. He has me has won me over. I have to say, I I, I did. Ha I'm not gonna be. I'll be honest. I I think I probably tweeted about it. I I wasn't sure about him a couple of years ago uh, at all when it wasn't going well. I wasn't sure at all that he was the right man. Uh, and, you know, I probably would have supported getting rid of him, but fair play to the guy. You know, he has, he's, he, he, has a, he has an idea, he has a plan and he sticks to it. 
um, and even when things are not going well. And I, and I respect that because I think that in any any walk of life, when when you when you go against your principles, you're you're already onto a to a loser. Yes, you have to. Sometimes you have to uh, adapt a little bit and and do things a different way. But I think Arteta, even when things were going going badly, he knew what he wanted and he stuck with it. And you know he got rid of the bad apples. Um, that, that were disrupting the squad, uh, and he, and he stuck with this young young team. And what he's brought, I think, is sustainable. That's the great thing. I think is that he's built something sustainable here that has a future. And that's been one of my biggest criticisms. Say, for example, of Juventus, my other team, that there's been no plan, there's been no project, there's been no three year, five year plan, which you can clearly see with Arteta. It's all been one year, get this guy in and get rid of him, and and, it, and it's chop and change and chop and change. And that's no way of having sustainable success. So I think Arsenal are, are well positioned to, to 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 definitely to challenge again next year we see what happens with city um you know do they who do they lose um who do they bring in i mean it's always going to be tough when you're playing against nation states unfortunately <laughs> but I, I would love to see it's been too long since arsenal since arsenal haven't won the league uh, or, or one of the major major titles um so uh, i would love that they i, I would love they, that they could do it. and i just hope that this last season wasn't one of those kind of well, this was Arsenal's chance and they needed to take it. I hope that this is a starting point rather than a, you know, a flash in the pan. I don't think it's a flash in the pan. I think there's too much quality there uh, in the squad. But there's a lot of quality in the Premier League. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good teams in the Premier League. So it's not, it's not going to be easy. No, but we're going to bring in transfers, aren't we? And if Declan Rice comes in and hopefully we can keep Partey. Um, it is just a worry, isn't it, with... All the uh, interest from Saudi Arabia and uh, the money and everything. And it's it's just so different to the football I knew growing up. It really was. It was always, you know, the Spanish leagues, the Italian leagues, the German leagues. And it wasn't the Premier League then. It was Division One and stuff <laughs> like that. And yeah. I know I'm showing my age and everything, but I have to say, and I mean, this is an old person saying this, obviously, much better back then, level playing field before Abramovich did what he did at Chelsea and just completely changes everything. And shame because we're not on that um, trajectory, are we? We're, we're not bought by our, you know, we've got our American owner at times has not been great either, but he does seem that, you know, he's on the right track. And I was watching something the other day where all his teams in America have won titles and <laughs> we're the only team that haven't. So, it's a good positive thing to think we're next. We're next. Carlo, so. you've been yeah. absolutely yeah. fantastic. Thank you so much. I knew you'd be a good guest. No, I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks for having me on. And I, and I, I don't get to talk about Arsenal uh, that much uh, anymore. To, to Even Carl said, Carlo no, needs to come back. So would you come <laughs> back on in the season? Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully uh, Arsenal yeah, win the league and, and we can celebrate. And we can celebrate Love it that. together. That would be nice. Oh, it's so nice. Yeah. Talking Arsenal with Carlo Garganese, and I even said his name right. Um, Christopher, tell everybody about your shows, what shows you've done and what's coming up. Yeah, so um, we're on episode three this Wednesday. It's one in, one out, one bangs. We take about 30 to 40 minutes. I get two guests on to talk about all things Arsenal. So this week I've got Paul, Fraud, who's uh, at Invincibog, who's on Gunnerstown, and also the wonderful uh, Mike McDonald, who is uh, a bit of a tactical guru. Um, and he's, I think he's he's also on uh, Gunnerstown. I think he does some stuff. He's done some stuff on Ligrove as well. Uh, so that'd be good. Um, chatting on Wednesday. That's episode three. 
Um, on we, last week, we did. Uh, we got a couple of people in. Um, I can't remember. It was Merv Axe. and it was Merv and Akil who were on last Wednesday, and then for episode one, we had uh, Kaya Kainak and um, Johnny Cochran. We've got. I'm looking at bringing Craig back. Um, Yay! Wonderful Craig back uh, onto the pod, um, and I've got a couple of people lined up. Um, cookies. I'm on holiday next week so uh the captain is going to uh, steer the ship for me next week with some uh, lovely guests we've got the wonderful jj and albert coming back to do their one in one out and one bangs but that's wednesday night uh, half past seven we kick off we are and i'm on that one but i'm just going to be steering the ship behind captain pressing the buttons because i don't know how to use tribute pressing the buttons Can't and wait. doing everything else except talking which is lovely so chris's shows are really good um, Wednesday nights half past seven but you can go and download them all because they're all there I've done a couple of shows Kevin Campbell was on one um, this one and then next Monday I'm back with the boys from Guns and Yellow Ribbons if you don't know Fergus and Hilsey you have to come and join me they go home and away every single match and I mean every single match Europa the lot and what I've witnessed this year with their videos and their pictures and everything that I can't wait to talk to them to actually find out what it's like to be a home and away fan for every single game. All their European trips have been brilliant. They're also on Guns and Yellow Ribbons. They're going to be with me next uh, Monday evening. Carlo, again, thank you very much from the Same yeah. Old Arsenal podcast, talking Arsenal through the summer. Boys and girls, thank you so much. I'm glad you're enjoying the pod. And, um, yeah, we'll see you all. Well, Chris will see you on Wednesday evening. And I look forward to seeing you next Monday night. Good night, all. Enjoy the rest of Monday evening. Podcast Network.